What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of Orange Slices. I'm your only host today. Mark McKenzie is in national team camp. He will be joining me for the body of the episode, but I'm just doing the intro and the outro by myself because Mark is traveling and we had an opportunity to connect, uh, but uh, this made it a little bit more difficult. He's obviously down, uh, for those that don't know, in El Salvador at the moment with uh, Wi-Fi that is less than, uh, let's say, my, my plug-in um, gigabit connection that I have uh, at my house. So I'm doing the intro. Uh, so here I am, but listen, everyone, uh, if you don't already know, Mark will be, uh, well, at least the U S national team, men's national team will be playing tonight against El Salvador to open up the octagonal, the final round of world cup qualifying. And, uh, yeah, it's an interesting period because they play three games. This is the first time, at least on any history that I can remember that they're playing three games in a, in a, in a fixture date which makes it really interesting. One, they played in the hexagonal before, which is, I'm looking at Matt, my producer now, it's six, right? Hex is six. You were an uh, uh, engineer in, uh, what's, what's the word that does the angles? Optometrist, you know? The, uh, the, uh, we prefer ophthalmologist. Ophthalmologist. Yeah. Ophthalmologist. You're good at ophthalmology, which means you're good at uh, understanding angles. Uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a three a triple fixture date. So, it's the first time that I can remember there being a actual need to rotate players because they're not playing six, which would have been 12 games. They're now playing heck or they're playing the octagonal, which is eight, uh, similar to the corners of a stop sign, I believe is, is, uh, is a stop sign an octagon, Matt. You, can I get a conf confirmation on that? Yeah. So eight corners. So they're playing eight, 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 uh, 14 matches. And so, and all of these are being jammed in, and it actually helps uh, that this World Cup is in the winter of 2022 because then there's enough more time to qualify. So uh, enough on that, but wanted to say at least Mark will be playing against El Salvador or the team will. Um, I'm not sure if Mark will feature in this first one. I do expect him to play in these games uh, because of just the demand. Uh, I've got a little bit of information on what I will speculate to be uh, the, the starting lineup. I think uh, Mark McKenzie will likely be on the on the bench for this one. They're, they've also called in 26 players, so it's a really interesting way of of um, rolling out a team over the next few matches. Obviously, the World Cup is 23 players. I was an alternate for the 2010 World Cup, and I was heavily involved in qualifying leading up. And there's going to be a number of players that are part of this team that play crucial roles uh, in qualifying that actually, I, I'm assuming Greg knows won't make the final team because there's only 23. So you have a number of players that are going to be role players. And also over the next 12 months, you're going to have, well, I guess it'd be four, 14 months. You're going to have a number of players step up and start to steal positions. It's not steal positions, but compete for positions. So it's going to be tough when it all comes down to it. But I would expect Mark to get some games uh, during this, this three-match run. They play El Salvador away. They play Canada at home and then Honduras away. We saw with Tyler Adams that he's talking about nine points uh, is a must. And just to give you guys some context, I remember uh, certain coaches that I had, even in Major League Soccer, where you'd look at a calendar and you say, okay, we, this is, these are our crunch times of the year where we've got five or six matches. We need X amount of points. And then they divide those points out. And it all averages out. It's not actually meant to be that many points per month, but it needs to average out into that many points per each month to make the playoffs. And when you put it into context like that, 
it takes a little bit of the pressure off of saying every game is a must-win game for the U.S. men's national team. I do think that they can win every game. I think they should definitely beat El Salvador. I think Honduras will be a bigger challenge away from home. Uh, I think El Salvador would be a challenge. But I think uh, there is enough rotation and experience in the squad to be able to get a result. So that game happens just after this episode will likely release. So I wanted to at least give you guys some context on that. We're hoping to get Mark uh, back on the pod with a couple of guests uh, kind of leading, going through this this camp itself and continuing to bring you guys some of that great um, content that that uh, we get from some of these current and former national team players. Perhaps we'll be able to get a former national team player based on the context of this. I went back and looked at uh, the 2009 World Cup qualifying and I started in that first game and I looked at the roster and unfortunately... That roster itself, uh, myself included, wasn't well-loved on the internet when you compare it to the roster that the national team has uh, right now. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Carlos Bocanegra, Negra, uh, Brad Guzan, Sasha Kleschen. Uh, I think Demarcus Beasley played that game. Danny Califf. Uh, Frankie Haydick, uh got dunked on and then had, a, I think, a goal and an assist that game. But yeah, obviously a different level of quality player now that we have and, and also a different level of depth and more than more than the quality of player. It's, it's the age, you know, I, I think I was probably what I would have been 2009. I would have been maybe 24, 25. And I was probably on the younger end, maybe Sasha question with me, Michael Bradley with me, um, who was younger, but for the most part, those were, those were players more heading into their prime. And that's what the national team typically was is players and kind of getting called in a lot of players kind of at the older end of the spectrum. But now you have these young players kind of getting, uh, battle hardened uh, in important matches like Nations League and Gold Cup, and and now it's great to see a combination of those two camps kind of come in of players who prove themselves because it shows you the value of having a good run with the national team, regardless of whether you call it the A team or B team. But anyways, I'll let our producer chuck this into the old mailbag episode where Mark and I got to caught up, catch up, and um, yeah, we will see you guys uh, in the in the post. <laughs> Matt, let's get to some uh, mailbag questions. We got we got anything good um, from the uh, Orange Slice fam? So we've got a ton of questions from the OS fam here. Shout out everyone for throwing them in. First question is from Gustavo Bermudez. Um, for both of you, what are your real thoughts on dual nationals? Should mm. they have more time or games mm. to choose? As a dual Slippery national slope. myself, uh, I think you got a Jamaican passport. A- yeah, I gotta get Wag a one, man. But, yeah, <laughs> that's why Eunice hit you with the bad things on the on on his voice message. Yeah, man. You know he hit the WhatsApp. You know he hit the Wag one fam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but I think it's I think it's tough because if you 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 tell a, a kid, for example, you know uh, that they now have to decide in who they want to play for after you know you represent the youth national teams, but it's different at the senior team level, right? When you're in that environment and you're experiencing, you know, how it's how it feels to be with the group and the coach and how the, his playing style and, you know, how the group gets along, I think it adds a different dynamic to it. <clears throat> so if a guy goes from playing for one national team, he gets called up. So say he starts in the youth national teams uh, and then he gets called up by that senior team. He gets the opportunity to be in that group and then he wants to go explore what the other side looks like. Now he's essentially made his decision, you know, in a way, and it, it puts that pressure on the kid of, you know, he just, honestly, I think it's just about recognizing where you fit in best, you know, and every 
every shoe isn't going to fit the kid, every kid the same way. Right. So and if you now base the kid's decision on who he wants to represent after making a one time switch, I guess I feel like it's a bit harsh, a bit unfair. Um, and, and fans are ultimately going to feel a different type of way, you know, about it. Of, oh, he's not committed to the, te- you know, to the national team that uh, gave him a chance at the youth levels and this, that and the other. <clears throat> but he may feel more connected to the other nationality, you know, and that's just the reality of it. So. I do think there should be a grace period for the guy. You know, I don't think it should be an extended grace period, but it should still allow the player to to feel out both sides enough to say, yeah, I, I feel best here. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak to what it's like to be a dual national because I'm not one. So I don't know. And I know that, you know, there was times where we've had in the past for the U.S. where people go, well, you only chose the U.S. because you couldn't make a better national team, right? Um, and is that what it means to represent yeah. your national team because we had a lot of the German-American guys who came late or whatever? Uh, and, and you know, each player's got their own journey and something that they've got to deal with uh, internally. Mm-hmm. So I can't speak to, to, you know, I do think they should have a decent amount of time and take the pressure off the kids because as soon as it gets into the media, now you feel yep. like both sides, you're like, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? You you, right. Especially for a lot of these guys, Mexican-American, they grow up in yeah, um, man. culturated or unacculturated households in the U.S. or in Mexico, and it's just a lot to take in. You know, It's a lot to deal with. And then you you judge that against a Yunus Musa who's got all these different national teams he could play for. And it's just, you know, each circumstance is going gonna, is gonna to be different. You know, I'm not a dual national. My kids will be dual nationals, dual nationals, and I'm interested to see what they go through and what that means. Mm-hmm. They're going to likely be raised in the U.S., but they could play for if they ended up playing sports or whatever, or representing another country if that's what they if that's what they wanted. And and but but I'm interested to see me as a parent what that will be like to have to nurture and guide them through a yeah. process like that. Even just being multicultural, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's just a, a different process, something that I can't speak to. Um, so yeah, other than being just super cultured like I am, you know, I can I can only be, speak to being like super cultured and like well well traveled and uh, well spoken, uh, but I can't speak to what it's like to be them. And and so yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my answer. Sweet, those great answers. Um, Thank you, Matt. This is this is from Soccer Dad, uh, West Virginia. Oh, that's soccer for Dad. Heath for sure. Heath this is this sure. is Matt's burner account. This is Matt's burner account. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, he asked like five questions. We're only going to take two here. Um, what's your favorite memory of youth soccer specifically? And what's the best piece of advice you ever got from a coach? I think let's try to stick in like maybe the youth landscape here. I'd say I, I'll go first on this one. I say my, my favorite youth memory is wasn't on like an organized field. I remember it being in my neighborhood with friends where – you remember those balls you used to be able to get at like Walgreens or CVS, I guess Dwayne Reed for you guys where they're like the bouncy balls that like if you kick them, they, they, they knuckle and stuff like that. So we used to, we, we had gotten these uh, like kind of small PVC pipe goals built where we could play on these mini pitches and you could strike these balls where they would dance and we would just play barefoot on, on the grass all, all the time because you could hit those balls as hard as you wanted. And that was probably my favorite youth, Memory was like unorganized pickup. And I just remember, and I, I, I just moved recently and I live above a park. And all of my memories came back to me where like, uh, I don't live above a park, but the park is behind me. Um, and so when I look at the park from, from the back of the house, 
I, it's got a basketball court. It's got a little grassy area that people play soccer on. It's got a little playground. And I just, it all came back to me, just this idea of neighborhood kids wandering down and playing. And it was like a flashback that I didn't think that happened anymore, right? Everything is organized sport and like get picked up, get dropped off, get ride, carpool, this, that. Everything has to be part of this like structured system. And I remember those being memories where me and my friends could get together and whether it was two shoes on the ground playing to a goal or it was like on these PVC pipes as we got bigger, uh, being able to just have fun and compete and just doing it until it was late, like, right? Like skipping dinner, skipping snacks like eating, eating junk food at the end of it all, like just hours and hours just surrounded around this game that you, you at the time just love. You don't realize you love it or where it's going to take you, but just being this, I just have it as this nostalgic memory of just the, the purity of the game and, and the joy of the game that wasn't structured by a coach or sessions or tactics or winning games or any of those things. It was just about playing. And, and I don't know if that was unique to me, but that's, that's where, where I go with my mind with that question. Yeah, I think for me, it's like two. There's two memories. The first one is uh, I was at a game and I was playing for the local YMCA. It's like a rec. Yeah, YMCA's. Is that that's still? Is that you guys know what YMCA is right? Yeah. Yeah. So, young, uh, young Men's Christians <coughs> Association. Yeah. Did you know what stood just, for that? Yeah, I knew it stood for that, but I was just making sure that you know everyone knew. I, YMCA is over where I was in Delaware. Were like. It's just a big rec facility for like everything. Yeah, that's why I played so. all. By the way, that's that's what rec soccer yeah. was back then. I don't think there was yeah. AYSO and stuff. It was like YMCA no, no, no. ball was like the first, and it was like indoor and like had little yeah. like uh, fuzzy balls and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, so yeah, I was there playing a game out on one of their fields, and actually both memories are out at those fields. And I was, I think I got fouled, and the, my coach. No, the ref, my dad was screaming from the sidelines like, ref, what is that? You know, you know, and he's, he's screaming at Patois, he's Jamaican, so he's pissed off. I got fouled hard and he's screaming at the ref and the ref is getting pissed off with him. He's pissed off. He's like, hey, shut up. Or I'm going to throw you out the game. And my dad's, you know, going back and forth with him. And eventually he comes over and he throws my dad out the game. And then fast forward like six months and now he's the coach of my youth team um, at the YMCA, you know, on the same field. So it was, it was, it's one of those memories that are like, it, it's kind of extensive, but it, it resonated with me, you know, when I think about my youth. And then one, when I was a midfielder, uh, my mom was screaming on the sideline because we were down like 2-1 in a tournament, or two, yeah, we were down 2-1 in a tournament game. And she was like, oh my gosh, we're going to lose, we're going to lose. And my dad was like, shut up, they're going to, they're going to come back, it's fine. <laughs> and then we ended up tying and then, <laughs> and then... <laughs> We ended up tying the game, or we ended up tying a couple, like a couple minutes. And she was like, "Oh my gosh, we're not gonna win." And he's like, "We're gonna win," and it was like a one-two. I sprint down the channel, cross it to my Italian teammate Tommaso. Shout out Tommaso, um, and we score a win and go crazy on the sideline. My team, yeah, just vibes, man, just vibes. Uh, that's so good. That I have a quick story on that. <laughs> I, I get a so we played this team. It was in State Cup in California. And we're playing this team. I think it was Santa Rosa, all Mexican team, right? Spanish only on the field against our team. It's late in the game. Our uh, our goalie switches onto the field, put in another goalie. We get a free kick. He lumps this ball into me, and I score this nice scissor kick, and I run off to the sideline, 
And this random dude runs up to me and he's shaking me going, ESPN, <laughs> ESPN. And I don't, I've, never seen, I've never seen this person in my life. And he was shaking me, yelling ESPN, ESPN over and over again because of the goal that I scored. And I just, this, that just came back to my mind right now. It ended up being the game winner in that game. We were playing at these polo fields. Uh, and, and I remember just the pandemonium around it and some random guy just continuously screaming ESPN at me while he shook me. Like, you can't do that anymore. Like you can't, you can't I don't think that, that, I don't think, I don't think, anymore. yeah, I don't think you can do that. I think that's, uh, especially that's a game. wild, wild story. We're going to lose. Uh, <laughs> uh, I remember hearing her voice uh, and then my dad screaming back. I was like, oh my gosh. Cause you know, on the sidelines, the fat, the fat, the, the parents are right on the sideline. Like, mm mm-hmm. And you throw the ball and you're standing right next to one of the parents. So you can hear everything going on. You know what's crazy is I think about this now as a parent. And I think about youth soccer and how mm-hmm. parents would cheer on every play. And I'm just like, I don't know if I have that. <laughs> like, it, it's funny how, like, I, I was having trouble, like, remembering one thing. But as soon as you said one thing, it, like, springs one memory. I'll say something. And you go back down yeah. these routes of, like, being, being back on the field. Uh, yeah. Nostalgia, nostalgia. It's like a flood of memories kick in as soon as you're like, oh yeah. And I remember when you know I dropped this, you know, I, in between a game, and my mom said this, and it's like, oh yeah, I remember when. Yeah. So just you can go it's off actually, for days. It's actually only when I go out and coach kids right now, like doing doing, you know, when I'm coaching kids or when I'm doing my my coaching license stuff that I I have like nostalgic memories of like, oh man, this is so nice, and remembering just all the times you know um otherwise most of my memories are from playing the game at a a higher level than than at the youth level you know which is right i don't know if that's good or bad or what that's how it goes matt what's our next question man all right so next question next question uh i'll shout out the name right after this but next question is a two-parter one for mark one for heath uh for mark first who is your best friend on the gang team and for Heath? Who has impressed you most from the gang squad besides Mark so far? Gang, gang. Uh, I would say this guy Christian Thorsfeld. He's a Norwegian guy. He, uh, he and I have been cool since we got since I got here. Um, honestly, he got here a few weeks before me, so we came in like the same window. But he's uh, he's been a guy I bonded with. You know, we're cool. Um, then the new guy Mike Chazor. You know, we we've gotten real cool. Um, but, you know, I would say we have a young squad, so we got a bunch of guys who are all around the same age. So similar interests, you know, from different parts of the world and whatnot. But, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with what I said earlier, which is uh, Paul Onuachu. Onuachu? Yeah, Onuachu. Onuachu. Just because, you know, the game has changed so much away from having a big target striker and in the in the brief moments that I, I I I've seen him, I just like I just like having a big big target. You know, I I've very few times in my career did I get to have a a big target striker that you can feed the ball to that can hold up the ball. His game looks relative like he's not a guy that's trying to play outside of his body. From the few times that I think you know, bodies up, gets the ball, lays it off, gets back in the box type of guy. Um, and so yeah, that just having a player like that for me makes the game more predictable than somebody who who is six foot seven but thinks they're like five nine and you know maybe maybe he thinks he's that in training mark you have to tell me otherwise but (laughs) at least having just a big body up there that will scrap for balls that win balls win free kicks you know occupy the center backs makes the game so much 
easier to build out from when, especially when you're a center back, just driving through, knowing you have a target that, you know, as you know, when you, when you got to Europe, the game gets a little bit faster knowing that you have this, you know, you go through your sort of like your options in a pass and knowing that you can lump that one up, get it to him and know that that's a yeah. decent opportunity to hold the ball and move your lines up. That, that to me is, yeah. it, it was impressive about him. No, it's huge. It's huge having that because it's always like a your outlet in a way, you know, where, where you know <clears throat> as long as I put the ball into his area and he's able to hold it up, we can get out of, you know, a tight situation. Even if it comes mm-hmm. from the goalkeeper, should I have a goal kick or if we're trying to build out and then we just got to chip it a little bit and, and give him a chance to hold up. It just pushes the team back. And now even if we have to restart again, you know, the team now has to drop off another 15, 20 yards. Yeah. People, people don't realize that there's just so many uh, – like the false nine is a real thing now, you know, and you play with a, a striker that moves a lot, uh, that checks off the back line a lot. But I've always, especially in the national team, always just liked having the fact that as the game gets faster, having somebody that's going to battle, scrap for second balls so that your midfielders can come up underneath and get the ball. You're facing forward instead of having to build through everything. Occasionally, you got to keep a team honest and either hit the channels or be able to lump it in. So having strikers like that are, are hugely useful. And I actually thought Mexico, by the way, in their game would be able to do that with Funes Mori. I think they did it a few times, just clipping it up to him with with you know attackers underneath and trying to get the U.S. to overcommit in the, in, in the press, uh, but were were relatively unsuccessful otherwise. But just you know, in terms of his his body size, just a different option for Mexico as well. But yeah, um, I agree. That question came in from Rain Tease, by the way. Um, all right, let's see who we should go to next. Uh, from Jorge Castillo for Mark, uh, are you picking up French or Dutch while in, while in gang? Uh, Dutch mainly. It's Dutch speaking, um, state and, uh, I'm in the Dutch speaking region of, of Belgium. So Dutch mainly, but you know, a lot of people here, especially, uh, you know, guys on the team, they learn French in school, so they speak French as well. So I'm picking up some French, but. I'll probably start that or won't start that until, uh, yeah, probably the the fall, winter, you know, just because I want to keep keep rolling with the Dutch. But, you know, the Dutch helps in case, you know, a potential move to Germany. Not saying that I'm going to Germany, but, you know, it helps. Or, you know, learn some French in case, you know, a potential move to France, which I'm not saying I'm going to France just yet, but, you know, manifesting. So, uh, yeah, you know, might as well, might as well learn it while I'm here. Uh, one more from Rain Tees. I should have put these together. But question for Heath, will you be coming to one of Mark's matches in real life in Gank? And for Mark, uh, what's one of your personal objectives for the season? Man, people got people got a lot a lot of questions, which I appreciate. <laughs> uh, I'd love to go to a, one of Mark's games. Obviously, I want I want it to be, you know, Gank are well known for their supporter culture. So I want to go when the stadium is full and you start to feel that again. It's such a different um especially in some of these smaller towns when they, when they're so well known for their, their supporter scene and the, and the stadium atmosphere that, that, uh, you know, I definitely plan to when, when the world, if, and when the world normalizes again, to get out to Europe and, and, and get to a game, definitely national team. You know, we were high five and, uh, we were high five in Denver, uh, when I was yes, doing sir. some, yes, some, some CBS work on the sideline and, and, uh, Mark was doing the work on the field, but yeah, definitely want to get out to Belgium at some point. Yes, sir. And what was the second one? What was the second one? What is uh, one of your personal objectives for this season? Oh, ultimately win the league. Yeah, bro, that's uh, your coach. That's your coach writing yeah. that. Your coach wrote that. <laughs> Low-key, yeah. He might be an op inside the question. Yeah, he's the mailbag, to know yeah. focused. <laughs> I think, yeah, the two winning the league. 
Um, I'm kind of just listing these just in, in general. But uh, win the league, win the cup. Uh, so I think those are just three tangible goals you know, that, that are, uh, yeah, on my mind. Damn, that's crazy because he asked you for personal objectives and you gave team objectives, but that's okay. <laughs> Honestly, you want to bag a couple goals this year? Like you got goals on yeah, you on your checklist or is that like a nice to have? Of course. That's like, uh, I'd probably say like the, the, the five to, to 10 range. I think that's where I want to be this year. Um, mm. just, just in terms of being a threat, oh my you know, Serge Ramos over here, you know, you know, you know five to 10, I feel like that's a good, a, a good spot, you know? So yeah, of course, bag some goals. Um, but, but be, you know, one of the best defenders in the league, you know, I think I, I have the potential to, to, to be in that category and in that discussion. So now it's just about doing it consistently. So yeah, similar to, to goals from an MLS, but ultimately it's just taking it up a notch. Nice. Uh, next one is coming in from Matt Herm. Uh, who was your, for both of you, who was your most influential coach and what did they do that made, made you better? I would say ah. my most influential coach was Clive Charles. For those that don't know, if you see any of the TIFOs of the Portland Timbers, generally Clive Charles is one of them. He is a Portland legend was the Olympic coach at one point, was a U.S. men's national team assistant at one point, was, you know, won a national championship with the women at University of Portland, coached both the men's and the women's teams at the same time, which was wild. Uh, but I learned a ton from him, mostly because I became a left back under him. And he just had this nurturing ability about him that knew when he needed to light a fire under you. He was just the first time I experienced like an ego management manager, right? That knew who he needed to give a, a, a kick up the ass and who he needed to, to rub their back. And he knew that he held the team equal. And uh, in, in when everyone was together, everyone was equal and treated the same. You know, when it was good, it was good. When it was bad, it was bad. But then knew how to pull people aside and, and, and nurture them in the right way. And I just felt like my personal development, becoming a pro was because of him, because I took what was probably some natural abilities and, and some development that I had and, and was able to sort of start to harness that into something through his guidance. And, and so, yeah, that was definitely the most influential coach in, in my career. Uh, the first would, I would say probably, I mean, most recently probably Jim Curtin, just because he provided me an opportunity to really you know, step into the game um, to, to the opportunity to play at the first team level, to compete on a weekly basis and to go through the ups and downs of being a young player and in the position as a central defender and, and whatnot. Uh, I think, you know, he, he gave me that, that foot in the door, you know, that I needed to, to now take my game up. Um, uh, and then two, I would say Chris Brewer, uh, he was, when I joined the unions Academy, the U14 coach, um, and he, yeah, he he gave me a taste of what it was like to be in the professional environment, you know, starting with not being in the team and not starting, you know, to being in the group and how to maintain your position, um, how to maintain the, the, the life of a professional and, and what it takes to kind of be, uh, yeah, elite. So uh, you give those two credit. And then lastly would be Tony Williams. He's a regional coach of mine, uh, like this. It was EDP. Uh, it was like a talent identification program. You know, and he uh, he's the one who actually connected me to the union. Um, but he would bring us into these little weekend camps where we would train. Actually, Anthony Fontana, uh, he was in part of that. Uh, Timothy Weah, 
Um, I met some some good guys through there. Um, but yeah, he introduced us to traveling like a professional, wearing a suit and tie to meet as a group, uh, being in video sessions, taking notes, asking questions, doing interviews, you know, just the, the ins and outs of being a pro. So I think those three were, were top three for me and helping me. Nice. Um, this question comes from Kyle Cassidy. You talk about Warzone a lot in the podcast. What's your what's your loadout these days? <laughs> yeah, man. Let's see. We got a. Uh, I got a few. Um, funny, man. We were just talking about it. Uh, I got my C fifty eight loadout. Uh, I don't know all the attachments, so I'd have to go on and 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 I'll, I'll probably post a picture of it. You know, for for you, my guy. But uh, I got C fifty eight with a Mac ten. Um, I got a Farah with a Bullfrog, a Farah with a Car 98, and then I got a, what was the last one? And I got a, a Sleeper, M13 Bullfrog uh, that, that I'm I'm pretty fond on. So, yeah, I got a few. Um, it also depends on, on when, you know, the, the weapons are getting nerfed and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it's, uh, oh, don't sleep on the, the Bruin as well. If you have the Bruin unlocked. Throw that on there with the with the submachine, um, and, and you can do some serious damage. So uh, yeah, that's that's what I got. That's what I got for you. Who are you playing with? You playing with any of the national team guys? Uh, honestly, I need to to get on because I, I spoke with Chris Richards, uh, Chris Richards, Timothy. Uh, those are two guys who I've spoken vividly about playing, you know, and and and, and getting some dubs, but. Yeah, we just never linked up, you know, just with different schedules and and whatnot. So, I think now that now that it's brought up, I'm gonna have to get on that. You know, I might have to just hop on tonight and and, and try and catch a catch a couple of dubs uh, to to kind of round out the night. All right, next question comes from some random guy at Matt Flores on Instagram. What do you guys eat for breakfast? I honestly don't eat breakfast. I've been uh, I've been doing intermittent fasting for quite a while now. I do take a, an occasional break, and then when I do, I just go all in down here in California. I'll have breakfast burritos with with bacon. With uh, I'll have breakfast burritos with, with bacon. Uh, pastrami. Bacon. Are you serious? Pastrami? Are you serious right now? We're trying to go plant Plant-based. forward. Plant forward. Okay. Yeah, okay. but listen, okay. I'm 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 like this morning. I woke up because I had I had a game last night um, that I was broadcasting. Woke up this morning. I ended up eating really late. So normally I stop eating at 8 PM until noon the next day. And I'll allow myself some coffee, which I'm having now, but I woke up and had my green greens, uh, called vitamin greens to get those greens in my body to really help my body recover and bounce back. Uh, but generally for breakfast, I just have coffee for the most part, but I, I do have an occasional like all in where I'll have, you know, Eggs, bacon, pancakes, waffles, French toast, any of those sort of classic, classic options where I just got to get that, you know, got to get that all American breakfast in. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big breakfast guy. Breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. Yes. Anybody in my family. Uh, I go with the, in, for training, I'll hit like a three egg omelet, you know, on a, on a roll, a whole wheat roll, uh, a honey wheat roll, actually, like honey wheat. Um, yeah, you got, got do they my, feed you breakfast that training? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before yeah, you good. get there, you got to be there before uh, before nine. But uh, yeah, the three egg omelet with the the honey wheat roll, um, get some yogurt uh, and uh, granola, you know, and drizzle a little honey on top. 
it's like my week. That's like my daily breakfast. I'd say probably uh, at the club, and then if I'm home or it's an off day, or whatever, I'm throwing the French toast, the pancakes, you know, a, a breakfast burrito, uh, getting in the the, the plant based, you know, sausage and and then bacon and whatnot. So yeah, I'm, I love breakfast. Mm, I'm getting hungry right now thinking about that. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to find a a good uh you know a good location here in Gank, you know, that can serve up a nice brunch. Toss a couple more at you guys. Um, this one's from Rocky Martin on Twitter. Uh, what are your favorite jerseys that you've worn in your career from a design and material standpoint and, or from a sentimental standpoint? That's a good question. Uh, I'm in like a nostalgic uh, period of my life right now. So when I look back at like the youth national team stuff that we wore in the youth national teams, like that uh, late 90s, early 2000s, uh nike gear where it had like the big embroidered swooshes on it and stuff was a little bit baggier and everything said like huge embroidered usas on it like those are the that was more the gear than it was the jerseys but um there's not really one specific jersey that i remember being my favorite but it was always the u.s national team jerseys just because it was it was so yeah you know everybody wanted them in my family everybody needed one and it just meant something different when you when you put it on where i wore a lot of club jerseys but um yeah not one specific national team one that i remember being my favorite yeah i would say yeah i mean the national team ones i think from a quality perspective some of them have been like top notch and feel nice you know when you're playing and not too heavy not too thick you know very breathable you know uh especially in those hot 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 months you know when you just looking for something to feel like nothing, you know, because you're so hot. Uh, but I think from like a color perspective, I love the Union because that's you know I came up in the Union's uh, academy. We had the the baby blue uh, kit with the white stripe going down the middle. That was probably one of my favorites, mom. Um, just from the color perspective, because I had a pair of uh, blue Addy Pures and they kind of matched mm. with it perfectly. So it was like a, a fresh you know, ensemble that I had going on uh, with the, with the whole, the whole kit and, and boot. Mm. Hey, my guy said ensemble. He's, he's speaking French already, you know, you see, awesome you know, more, awesome. you, you know, more French than you think you do, you know, just <laughs> with subconscious. the sophisticated vocabulary. <laughs> it's subconscious at this point, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it and I'm not even realizing I'm speaking. I'm like, Oh, what? See yeah. play? Ensemble. What? <laughs> The new the new gang kit is pretty sick too. Yeah, I like the the I like the the new, it's like a checker pattern almost. Yeah, I think it's uh yeah it's growing on me. You know, it's growing on me. Uh, fans are gonna be upset. I didn't like oh I'm in love with it. No, it takes sometimes a while for kids to kind of grow on me. So respect, mm-hmm. respect it. All right, this is uh, one for each of you from JJ Fiat. Uh, for Mark, how excited are you for World Cup qualifying? And then I'll get to Heath after. No, very excited. My first World Cup qualification, you know, aside from, uh, yeah, I mean, when I was at CONCACAF World Cup qualifying with the 20s, but this is another level. This is the next, you know, the next step up. So it's, uh, yeah, exciting for me. You know, a bunch of, uh, you know, new experiences. Uh, I would say new terrain, but, you know, it's just unfamiliar terrain um, in a way because you don't know what you're going to get sometimes. So uh, just the same, though, I'm, I'm looking forward to that challenge. It's yeah you dream about that right being a part of that group that wants to you know be at the world cup so you know uh looking back 10 years and saying yeah i was able to to help the team achieve that goal uh that's that's yeah that's what i, I want to be part of so 
Yeah, man, very excited. Uh, lots of emotions, but mainly just hungry, you know, and, and looking forward, you know, to, to, to having, you know, an opportunity, potentially having an opportunity. And for Heath, uh, what is it like stepping into a media role after playing? JJ wants to become a sports analyst or slash announcer, so it'd be cool to learn what the environment is like from a pro like yourself. There's a spot over in LA if you need one. Just <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, look, there's it's like anything, right? You step into a new thing, and I look back at old videos when I first started of. I was doing five videos a week. I was doing daily content and I sucked, you know, just like wide eyed into a camera, you know, learning everything that I could. And it just feels like you're not getting better. And you don't realize that with every rep, you're getting better at everything. And it's the same in sports, right? You get to a certain level at a professional level. And, and then it's like the, the, the minutia that, you know, you not, you don't actually see yourself getting better all the time because you've been doing it for so long. But when you get in, when I got in the sports media thing, I could take leaps and bounds from the beginning because, you know, when you start at the very bottom and you're really bad at something, you you can start to recognize immediately when you start to get better. So that was kind of nice, but it, it's just like anything, you know, you have to apply the same principles that you put into being good at anything uh, to get into the media side. And it's just about reps. You know, I, I talk to people about this all the time, whether they're ex-athletes or not, when they get into the space, it's, it's just you know, be, you have to be able to go out and do it yourself, be willing to create content, be willing to be vulnerable and put yourself out there, look stupid, look silly at times, uh, and, and create your own opportunities. You know, a lot of people want to do it when they get hired or they want to do it because they have, you know, somebody offers them something, but the people that I've seen climb the most are the ones who are self-starters and, and, you know, can create their own content, learn a lot of their own, create their own, you know, learn how to edit themselves and, and, and do all those things that, that make them uh, indispensable, whether to a business or, or to building their own brand. Or just hire Matt. Or just hire Matt Flores. Very insightful. Our producer. Uh, I'll, th- I'll, I'll throw my Instagram <laughs> in the uh, description. Uh, a couple more before we get out of here. For both of you guys, I'll shout out the name right after. If you could get a clean tackle on any player in the world during your playing time, who would it be? I think I saw this one on Instagram. <laughs> um the easy answer would be like Ronaldo or Messi, right? But nah, I think for me it would be like like Iniesta, like a clean tackle. Just like mm. I see the ball the entire way, and you know the ball's stuck to his foot, and I'll just come in. And it's like, mm, thank you very much. I'll take that, and I can counterattack the other way. Him or Ronaldinho, you know? Maybe it's not current, but still, you know, Ronaldinho is a magician. So those two. I got a clean tackle on Ronaldinho once, uh, but I, for me, I look back, the kinds of tackles that I always lo- wanted to do are the ones that really good holding midfielders can do, right? Which is that, that <laughs> poke tackle, you know, yeah. where it's like, uh, where they, you, you get a guy who's got nasty feet and they slip out of it. Like my legs, I got, I don't know if I just don't have the hip mobility or what, but like you know where it's just like they cut back and they get a toe and poke it away and run around the other side and 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 yeah. now they've got you one back possession. I could never get those going. And every time I did, I would always go like knee to knee or shin to shin with somebody. Uh, you always come out bruised from it. <laughs> yeah, I come out bruised trying to do something because I just don't have it in my bag. But those are the kinds of tackles where like you, against the Messi, you know, he's dribbling, beats two, three guys. He tries to beat you and you just do that. He cuts back and you sweep yeah. and get that poke poke tackle. Those are my favorite kinds of, uh, of tackles to watch because like, look, a 50-50 – 
You know, yeah, I've gotten course. those against Aguero, Fabregas. Like I remember those specifically as moments where, yeah. where you know, Fabregas had me. I think Fabregas had me on the ropes on a fake cross, and I slid and I did like that baseball slide where I yeah, slid and yeah, stood yeah. back up and was able to still run him down to the corner flag. He was on like the edge of the area, and uh, and then and then block block the cross from there uh, with a tackle, but. Yeah, I, I've always I've always respected people who could do that poke tackle more than more yeah. than anything. Where you know dribbling two, three, four guys, and then they try to beat you, and you're like, no, nope, not on me. They'll just a little poke away. You don't have to hit them hard, and now you're on now you're on the go the other way. It's like the easy tackle, you know. Oh, like yeah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, okay, I like that. That question came in from Yoelster twenty five too. Um, all right, let's- oh yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, like he he's he's always hitting me up on Instagram. Well, shout out Yo Elster. Um, let's close it out with Alex Russell Yo. When is the merch dropping? Mm-hmm. Ooh, well, Mark Mark went and launched his own merch line. You know, <laughs> we couldn't get that. We couldn't get that. We, we we couldn't find the right sponsor yet. Uh, you know, had to turn down a few that didn't align with our values. And Mark was like, "All right, I'm going to go monetize this thing." And you know, no, honestly, I didn't even. I was just like a spur of the moment thing. I think I don't even know where I went. I think I went to one of like a, I went to a, a local retail store, and just cop like a shirt in like the clearance section because I need a shirt for the game. And I was like something lightweight, breathable, with something kind of clean. And I saw it, and I was like, oh, cool, I like this. And then I didn't see the back of it. I just saw the front. I was like, oh, that'd kind of be cool for the podcast, you know? Maybe you know who knows? Yeah. You know? And then I, I put it on. My sister was like, oh, my God, did you see the back, Mark? And I was like, no, nah, why? And she was like, it's like your podcast. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Sorry about that, guys. It was a you know, false, falsely uh, enticing advertisement. Yeah. No, but I would say, but for real, on, on Orange Slices, a lot of people have been asking for merch. Two yeah. things. One, we've got mock-ups and designs of merch already. Uh, we had some design design before we even launched the podcast or do we want to just have a site that we sell some of our cool stuff? Cause some of these designs are sick. Um, but then it's, you know, from a st- strategy standpoint at four soccer ventures, making sure that we can supply people when they want stuff, making sure that we're creating, uh, merch enough or often enough or not too much and, and that sort of thing. So we're definitely going through the strategy process of merch, but if you guys want merch, let us know and that could help expedite the product process. Uh, if we know enough people would want to rock, want to rock orange slice gear. Yeah. Yeah. Please let us know. You know, you see me rocking it by accident, but yeah, we want to, <laughs> we want to see you guys rocking it as well. So yeah, definitely let us know. Uh, hopefully we can get, you know, some dad hats for Heath. Cause you know, Heath loves a dad hat. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, man, I think that'll, that might stick. That might really stick. You know, he may be that the orange slices like, tennis top mom consumer. Hat. <laughs> Yeah, Heath might. What's what's the what's the one? Is it a visor? The one with like the 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 top missing? Yeah, that's a visor. Yeah, that's a visor, right? Yeah, it's like the tennis mm-hmm. visor. Yeah, it's like a ball. That's dad that. Hat, that's that know? PE teacher hat, you know. <laughs> that's the I got the receding hairline, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want anybody to know. Uh, well, there's plenty. Th- Matt, is that it? Is that all the questions I mean, for today? There's plenty more questions. I think we just kind of pepper them in throughout the upcoming weeks because we we should get back to all our fans. But I think that's good for today. What do you guys think? All right. Yeah, I think that's good. You know, we got to keep the people, we got to keep the people engaging with us. You know, if we answer all the questions, Mm -hmm. there'll be no more questions left. 
Exactly, man. You got to leave off on a cliffhanger like, oh, wait, are they going to answer more or not? You know, so again, we need to, we, we want to hear what, you, you know, we want to hear from you guys. We want to, you know, connect with you guys. We want to know what you guys want to, you know, hear about. And, and ultimately, if you want to hear less of Heath and more of me, you know, just, just let us know. People already uh, said that. We know that. We know that. But like, this is my outlet, you know, <laughs> this is my, uh, this is my personal outlet. You know, this is where I let it all out. Uh, no one, no one, no one in my house wants to hear my stories. You know, no one in my family wants to hear my stories. So just get this a dog. Is I gotta bro. just talk. Just get a dog. I'm telling you, you get a dog, you can just talk to him. You just talk to him I and know. just let him know. And you're in a house full of, of, yeah. of, of females, so if you get a male dog, it's that male companionship. You know, mm-hmm. that, that yeah. we just we just give Not each other the look from time to time, being like, he gets it. He yeah, gets it. he understands. He Even through. though he has absolutely yeah. nothing going on in his brain right now, except feed me. You know, but yeah. he understands. <laughs> So that is it, everyone. That is the most recent episode of Orange Slices. Uh, it feels weird being here just by myself. You know, normally I'm looking into a camera with the handsome man that is Mark McKenzie well, and our handsome producer, uh, Matt Flores. And I don't get to see our our uh, one of our other producers and editors, Chris, that often. But he's also handsome. It's just an all-around handsome crew. Um, but it's just bizarre just talking to myself into the void. And knowing that uh, Mark McKenzie's somewhere out there thinking about a game that's far more important than this podcast, which do I agree with? Probably not. I think perhaps this is just as important in his career as qualifying and making a World Cup roster, but also because we need him to, you know, this thing's going to fly if this guy's on the World Cup roster, which I assume he will be. Um, but yeah, keep sending in those those questions, guys. We're going to try to put those into the top of episodes to make sure we're engaging with you guys. And as usual, you can find us on Slice of Soccer on social media. And I want to give a big shout out to our production team. As I mentioned, Matt, Chris, and everyone else that's involved. JJ, who's getting more involved in the podcast, our social team that's helping to pump out content on a regular basis. And uh, make sure you send those questions in. Leave a comment. Drop us five stars. The more you do that, the higher that thing shoots up the list. We are continuing to climb, by the way, the charts. We find ourselves on more uh, podcast pages that show us ranked higher. And that's all because of you guys consuming the content, sharing the content, making sure that you send in your thoughts, opinions, comments that help us to optimize the show and make it better and better every single week. So hopefully we'll get in a guest soon. But otherwise, if not, you know, Mark and I will keep catching up over this um, World Cup qualifying period because that alone I think is a really unique perspective to have somebody who's inside the camp sharing what it's like. We'll go into a lot of things we've been talking about recently, whether it's you know uh, what you do all day long when you're locked in a hotel in social uh, in, in Central America to the amount of travel they have. Right, they're flying to Central America twice over the next um, uh, kind of week or so and playing games. So there's just a lot to go into it. What they do on planes, how you pass the time on planes, so many things that are coming to mind right now in uh, my stream of consciousness we'll talk about with Mark. So uh, that is it from us. Uh, Thank you to uh, the entire OS fam that is out there in the universe, and we will see you guys soon.